Part one, chapter two of En Route by Jory Karl Heismans, translated by Charles Keegan Paul. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How had he again become a Catholic and got to this point? Durtal answered himself. I cannot tell. All that I know is that, having been for years an unbeliever, I suddenly believe. Let us see, he said to himself. Let us try at least to consider if however great the obscurity of such a subject there be not common sense in it after all my surprise depends on preconceived ideas of conversions i have heard of sudden and violent crises of the soul of a thunderbolt or even of faith exploding at last in ground slowly and cleverly mined it is quite evident that conversions may happen in one or other of these two ways for god acts as may seem good to him but there must be also a third means and this no doubt the most usual which the saviour has used in my case and i know not in what this consists it is something analogous to digestion in a stomach which works though we do not feel it there has been no road to damascus no events to bring about a crisis nothing has happened we awake some fine morning and without knowing how or why the thing is done yes but in fact this manoeuvre is very like that of the mine which only explodes after it has been deeply dug yet not so for in that case the operations are material the objections in the way are resolved i might have reasoned following the course of the spark along the thread but in this case no i sprang unexpectedly without warning without even having suspected that i was so carefully sapped nor was it a clap of thunder unless i admit that a clap of thunder can be occult and silent strange and gentle and this again would be untrue for sudden disorder of the soul almost always follows a misfortune or a crime an act of which we are aware no the one thing which seems certain in my case is that there has been divine impulse grace but said he in that case the psychology of conversion is worthless and he made answer to himself that seems to be so for i seek in vain to retrace the stages through which i have passed no doubt i can distinguish here and there some landmarks on the road i have travelled love of art heredity weariness of life i can even recall some of the forgotten sensations of childhood the subterranean workings of ideas excited by my visits to the churches but i am unable to gather these threads together and group them in a skein I cannot understand the sudden and silent explosion of light which took place in me when i seek to explain to myself how one evening an unbeliever i became without knowing it on one night a believer i can discover nothing for the divine action has vanished and left no trace it is certain he continued after silent thought that in these cases the virgin acts upon us it is she who moulds and places us in the hands of her son but her fingers are so light so supple so caressing that the soul they have handled has felt nothing on the other hand if i ignore the course and stages of my conversion i can at least guess the motives which after a life of indifference have brought me into the harbours of the church made me wander round her borders and finally gave me a shove from behind to bring me in and he said to himself without more ado there are three causes first the atavism of an old and pious family scattered among the monasteries and the memories of childhood returned to him of cousins of aunts seen in convent parlours 
gentle women and grave white as wafers who alarmed him by their low voices who troubled him by their looks and asked if he were a good boy he felt a sort of terror and hid himself in his mother's skirts trembling when he went away and was obliged to bend his brow to those colourless lips and undergo the touch of a chilly kiss now that he thought of them at a distance the interviews which had wearied him so much in his childhood seemed to him charming he put into them all the poetry of the cloister clothed those bare parlours with a faded scent of wainscoting and of wax and he saw again the convent gardens through which he had passed impregnated with the bitter salt scent of box planted with clipped hedges intermingled with trellises whose green grapes never ripened divided by benches whose mouldering stone kept the traces worn by water and a thousand details came back to him of those silent lime alleys of the paths where he ran in the interlaced shade which branches threw upon the ground these gardens had seemed to him to become larger as he grew older and he retained a somewhat confused memory of them amid which was the vague recollection of an old stately park and of a presbytery orchard in the north always somewhat damp even when the sun shone it was not surprising that these sensations transformed by time had left in him some traces of pious thought which grew deeper as his mind embellished them all this might have fermented indistinctly for thirty years and now began to work but the two other causes which he knew must have been still more active these were his disgust for his life and his passion for art and the disgust was certainly aggravated by his solitude and his idleness after having in old days made friends by chance and having taken the impression of souls which had nothing in common with his own he had at last chosen after much useless vagabondage he had become the intimate friend of a certain dr des Hermies, a physician who devoted much attention to demoniac possession and to mysticism and of a breton named carré the bell-ringer at saint sulpice these friendships were not like those he had formerly made entirely superficial and external they were wide and deep based on similarity of thought and the indissoluble ties of soul and these had been roughly broken within two months of each other des hermies and carré died the former of typhoid fever the latter of a chill that prostrated him in his tower after he had rung the evening angelus these were frightful blows for durtal his life now without an anchor drifted he wandered all astray declaring to himself that this desolation was final since he had reached an age at which new friends are not made so he lived alone apart among his books but the solitude which he bore bravely when he was occupied when he was writing a book became intolerable to him now that he was idle he lounged in an armchair in the afternoons and abandoned himself to his dreams then especially fixed ideas took hold on him and these ended by playing pantomimes of which the scenes never varied behind the lowered curtain of his eyes nude figures danced in his brain to the tune of psalms and he woke from these dreams weak and panting ready if a priest had been there to throw himself at his feet with tears just as he would have abandoned himself to the basest pleasures had the temptation suddenly come to him let me chase away these phantoms by work he cried but at what should he work he had just published the life of gilles de Ray, which might interest a few artists and he now remained without a subject on the hunt for a book as in art he was a man of extremes he always went from one excess to the other and after having dived into the satanism of the middle ages in his account of marshal de ray 
he saw nothing so interesting to investigate as the life of a saint some lines which he had discovered in Goerus's and ribet's studies in mysticism had put him on the trace of a certain blessed lidwine in search of new documents but admitting that he could unearth anything about her could he write the life of a saint he did not believe it and the arguments on which he based his opinion seemed plausible hagiography was now a lost branch of art as completely lost as wood carving and the miniatures of the old missals nowadays it is only treated by church officers and priests by those stylistic agents who seem when they write to put the embryos of their ideas on ballast trucks and in their hands it has become a commonplace of goody-goody a translation into a book of the statuettes of Froc robert and the coloured images of Boisse. the way then was free and it seemed at first easy enough to plan it out but to extract the charm of the legends needed the simple language of bygone centuries the ingenuous phrases of the days that are dead who in our time can express the melancholy essence the pale perfume of the ancient translations of the golden legend of voragine how bind in one bright posy the plaintive flowers which the monks cultivated in their cloistered enclosures when hagiography was the sister of the barbaric and delightful art of the illuminators and glass-stainers of the ardent and chaste paintings of the early masters yet we may not think of giving ourselves over to studious imitations nor coldly attempt to ape such works as these the question remains whether we can with the present artistic resources succeed in setting up the humble yet lofty figure of a saint and this is at least doubtful for the lack of real simplicity the over-ingenious art of style the tricks of careful design and the false craft of colour would probably transform the elect lady into a strolling player she would no longer be a saint but an actress who rendered the part more or less adroitly and then the charm would be destroyed the miracles would seem mechanical the episodes would be absurd then then one must have a lively faith and believe in the sanctity of one's heroine if one would try to exhume her and put her alive again in a book this is so true that we may examine gustave flaubert's admirable pages on the legend of saint julien the hospitaller their development is like a dazzling yet regulated tumult evolved in superb language whose apparent simplicity is only due to the complicated ingenuity of consummate skill all is there all except the accent which would have made this work a true masterpiece given the subject the fire which should course through these magnificent phrases is absent there lacks the cry of the love that faints the gift of the superhuman exile the mystical soul on the other hand Elo's physiognomie de saint are worth reading faith flashes out in each of his portraits enthusiasm runs over in each chapter unexpected allusions form deep reservoirs of thought between the lines but after all Elo was so little of an artist that the fairest legends fade when his fingers touch them the meanness of his style impoverishes the miracles and renders them ineffectual the art is lacking which would rescue the book from the category of pale and dead publications the example of these two men in complete opposition as ever writers were neither of whom attained perfection one in the legend of saint julien because faith was wanting the other because his art was poor and narrow thoroughly discouraged durtal he ought to be both at once and yet remain himself if not there was no good in buckling to for such a task it were better to be silent and he threw himself back in his chair sullen and hopeless then the contempt of his desolate life grew upon him 
and once more he wondered what interest providence could have in thus tormenting the descendants of the first convicts if there were no answer he was obliged to admit that the church in these disasters gathered up the waifs sheltered the shipwrecked brought them home again and assured them a resting place no more than schopenhauer whom he had once admired but whose plan of labelling everyone before death and whose herbarium of dry sorrows had wearied him as the church deceived man nor sought to decoy him by boasting the mercy of a life which she knew to be ignoble in all her inspired books she proclaims the horror of fate and mourns over the enforced task of living ecclesiasticus ecclesiastes the book of job the lamentations of jeremias manifest this sorrow in their every line and the middle ages too in the imitation of jesus christ cursed existence and cried out loudly for death more plainly than schopenhauer the church declared that there is nothing to wish for here below nothing to expect but where the mere catalogues of the philosopher stop the church went on overpassing the limits of the senses declared the end of man and defined his limitations then he said to himself if it be well considered the vaunted argument of schopenhauer against the creator drawn from the misery and injustice of the world is not irrefutable for the world is not as god made it but as man has refashioned it before accusing heaven for our ills it is no doubt fitting to examine through what phases of consent through what voluntary falls the creature has passed before ending in the gloomy disaster it deplores we may well curse the vices of our ancestors and our own passions which beget the greater part of the woes from which we suffer we may well loathe the civilization which has rendered life intolerable to cleanly souls and not the lord who perhaps did not create us to be shot down by cannon in time of war to be cheated robbed and stripped in time of peace by the slave drivers of commerce and the brigands of the money market but that which remains forever incomprehensible is the initial horror the horror imposed on each of us of having to live and that is a mystery no philosophy can explain ah he went on when i think of that horror that disgust of existence which has for years and years increased in me i understand how i am forced to make for the church the only port where i can find shelter once i despised her because i had a staff on which to lean when the great winds of weariness blew i believed in my novels i worked at my history i had my art i have come to recognize its absolute inadequacy its complete incapacity to afford happiness then i understood that pessimism was at most good to console those who had no real need of comfort i understood that its theories alluring when we are young and rich and well become singularly weak and lamentably false when age advances when infirmities declare themselves when all around is crumbling i went to the church that hospital for souls there at least they take you in put you to bed and nurse you they do not merely turn their backs on you as in the wards of pessimism and tell you the name of your disease finally durtal had been brought back to religion by art more even than his disgust for life art had been the irresistible magnet which drew him to god the day when out of curiosity and to kill time he had entered a church and after so many years of forgetfulness had heard the vespers for the dead fall heavily psalm after psalm in antiphonal chant as the singers threw up like ditches their shovels full of verses his soul had been shaken to its depths 
the evenings when he had listened at saint sulpice to the admirable chanting during the octave of all souls he had felt himself caught once for all but that which had put most pressure on him and brought him yet more completely into bondage were the ceremonies and music of holy week he had visited the churches during that week and they had opened to him like palaces ruined like cemeteries laid waste by god they were forbidding with their veiled images their crucifixes wrapped lozenge-wise in purple their organs dumb their bells silent the crowd flowed in busy but noiseless along the floor over the immense cross formed by the nave and the two transepts and entering by the wounds of which the doors were figures they went up to the altar where the blood-stained head of christ would lie and there on their knees eagerly kissed the crucifix which marked the place of the chin below the steps and the crowd itself as it ran in the cruciform mould of the church became itself an enormous cross living and crawling silent and sombre at saint sulpice where the whole assembled seminary lamented the ignominy of human justice and the foreordained death of a god durtal had followed the incomparable officers of those mournful days through all their black minutes had listened to the infinite sadness of the passion so nobly and profoundly expressed at tenebrae by the slow chanting of the lamentations and the psalms but when he thought it over that which above all made him shudder was the thought of the virgin coming on the scene on the thursday at nightfall the church till then absorbed in her sorrow and prostrate before the cross raised herself and fell a-weeping on beholding the mother by all the voices of the choir it pressed round mary endeavouring to console her mixing the tears of the stabat mater with her own sighing out that music of plaintive weeping pressing the wound of that sequence which gave forth water and blood like the wound of christ himself durtal left the church worn out with these long services but his temptations to unbelief were gone he had no further doubt it seemed to him that at saint sulpice grace mixed with the eloquent splendours of the liturgies and that in the dim sorrow of the voices there had been appeals to him and he therefore felt filial gratitude to that church where he had lived through hours so sweet and sad yet in ordinary weeks he did not go there it seemed to him too great and too cold and it was so ugly he preferred warmer and smaller sanctuaries in which there were still traces of the middle ages thus on idle days when he came out of the louvre where he had strayed for a long time before the canvases of the early painters he was wont to take refuge in the old church of saint severin hidden away in a corner of the poorer part of paris he carried with him the visions of the canvases he had admired at the louvre and contemplated them again in this surrounding where they were thoroughly at home then he spent delightful moments in which he was carried away in the clouds of harmony divided by the white splendour of a child's voice flashing out from the rolling thunder of the organ there without even praying he felt a plaintive languor a vague uneasiness steal over him saint severin delighted him aided him more than other churches on some days to gain an indescribable impression of joy and pity sometimes even when he thought of the filth of his senses to weave together the regret and the terror of his soul he often went there especially on sunday mornings to high mass at ten o'clock he was wont to place himself behind the high altar in that melancholy and delicate apse planted like a winter garden with rare and somewhat fantastic trees it might have been called a petrified arbour of very old trunks in flower but stripped of leaf 
forests of pillars squared or cut in broad panels carved with regular notches near the base hollowed through their whole length like rhubarb stalks channeled like celery no vegetation expanded at the summit of those trunks which bent their naked boughs along the vaulting joined and met and gathered at their junction and thin engrafted knots extravagant bunches of heraldic roses armorial flowers with open tracery and for more than four hundred years no sap had run no bud had formed in these trees the shafts bent forever remained untouched the white bark of these pillars was scarcely warm but the greater part of the flowers were withered the heraldic petals were wanting some keystones of the arches had only stratified calices open like nests with holes like sponges in rags like handfuls of russet lace and among this mystic flora amid these petrified trees there was one strange and charming which suggested the fanciful idea that the blue smoke of the rolling incense had condensed and as it coagulated had grown pale with age to form in twisting the spiral of a column which was inverted on itself and ended broadening out into a sheaf whereof the broken stems fell from above the branches the corner where durtal took refuge was faintly lighted by pointed stained windows with black diamond-shaped divisions set with minute panes darkened by the accumulated dust of years rendered still more obscure by the woodwork of the chapels which cut off half their surface this apse might have been called a frozen grove of skeleton trees a conservatory of dead specimens belonging to the palm family calling up the memory of an impossible phoenix and unlikely palms but it also recalled by its half-moon shape and doubtful light the image of a ship's prow below water in fact it allowed to filter through its bars to its windows trellised with all black network the murmur suggested by the rolling of the carriages which shook the street of a river which sifted the golden light of day through the briny course of its waters on sundays at the time of high mass the apse was empty the public filled the nave before the high altar or spread themselves somewhat further into a chapel dedicated to our lady durtal was therefore almost alone and even the people who crossed his refuge were neither stupid nor hostile like the faithful in other churches in this district were beggars the very poor hucksters sisters of charity rag-pickers street arabs above all there were women in tatters walking on tiptoe who knelt without looking round poor creatures overwhelmed by the piteous splendour of the altars looking out of the corner of their eyes and bending low when the suisse passed them touched by the timidity of this silent misery durtal listened to the mass chanted by a scanty choir but one patiently taught the choir of saint severin intoned the credo that marvel of plain chant better than it was done at saint sulpice where however the officers were as a rule solemn and correct it bore it as it were to the top of the choir and let it spread with its great wings open and almost without motion above the prostrate flock when the verse et homo factus est took its slow and reverent flight in the low voice of the singer it was at once monumental and fluid indestructible like the articles of the creed itself inspired like the text which the holy spirit dictated in their last meeting to the united apostles of christ at saint severin a powerful voice declaimed a verse as a solo then all the children sustained by the rest of the singers delivered the others and the unchangeable truths declared themselves in their order more attentive more grave more accentuated even a little plaintive in the solo voice of a man more timid perhaps 
but also more familiar and more joyous in the dash however restrained of the boys at such a moment durtal was roused and exclaimed within himself it is impossible that the alluvial deposits of faith which have created this musical certainty are false the accent of these declarations is such as to be superhuman and far from profane music which has never attained to the solid grandeur of this naked chant the whole mass moreover at saint severin was perfect the kyrie eleison solemn and sumptuous the gloria in excelsis shared by the grand and the choir organs the one taking the solos the other guiding and sustaining the singers was full of exultant joy the sanctus concentrated almost haggard resounded through the arches when the choir shouted the hosanna in excelsis and the agnus dei was sung low to a clear suppliant melody so humble that it dared not become loud indeed except for a contraband or salutaris introduced there as in other churches saint severin maintained on ordinary sundays the musical liturgy sang it almost reverentially with the fragile but well-toned voices of the boys the solidly built basses bringing vigorous sounds from the deep it was a joy to durtal to linger in the delightful surroundings of the middle ages in that shadowy loneliness amid the chants which rose behind him without being annoyed by tricks of the mouths which he could not see he ended by being moved to the very marrow choked by nervous tears and all the bitterness of his life came up before him full of vague fears of confused prayers which stifled him and found no words he cursed the ignominy of his life and swore to master his carnal affections when the mass was over he wandered in the church itself and was delighted with the spring of the nave which four centuries built and sealed with their arms placing on it those strange impressions those wonderful seals which expand in relief under the reversed groining of the arches these centuries combined to bring to the feet of christ the superhuman effort of their art and the gifts of each are still visible the thirteenth century shaped those low and stunted pillars whose capitals are crowned with water-lilies water-parsley foliage with large leaves voluted with crochets and turned in the form of a crozier the fourteenth century raised the columns of the neighbouring bays on the sides of which prophets monks and saints uphold the spring of the arches the fifteenth and sixteenth created the apse the sanctuary some windows pierced above the choir and though they have been restored by incompetent builders they have still retained a barbaric grace and a really touching simplicity they seem to have been designed by ancestors of the epinal foundries and stained by them with crude colours the donors and the saints who pass through these bright stone-framed pictures are all awkward and pensive dressed in robes of gamboge bottle green prussian blue gooseberry red pumpkin purple and wine lees and these are made still deeper by contact with the flesh tints either omitted or destroyed which have at any rate remained uncoloured like a thin skin of glass in one of these windows christ on his cross seems limpid all in light between blue splashes of sky and the red and green patches formed by the wings of the two angels whose faces also seem cut in crystal and full of light these windows differ from those of other churches in that they absorb the rays of the sun without refracting them no doubt they have been deliberately divested of reflection that they may not by the insolent joyousness of stones on fire insult the melancholy sorrow of this church which rises in the squalid haunts of a quarter inhabited by beggars and thieves then these thoughts assailed durtal 
in paris the modern churches are useless they remain deaf to the prayers which break against the icy indifference of their walls no man recollects himself in those knaves where souls have left nothing of themselves or where they have perhaps given themselves away have had to turn and fall back on themselves rebuffed by the insolence of a photographic glare darkened by the neglect of those altars at which no saint has ever said mass it seemed that god had always gone out and would only come home to keep his promise to appear at the moment of consecration and that he would retire immediately afterwards despising these edifices which have not been built expressly for him since by the baseness of their form they might be put to any profane use since above all they do not bring him in default of sanctity the only gift which might please him the gift of art which he has lent to man and which allows him to see himself in the abridged restitution of his work and to rejoice in the development of that flower of which he has sowed the seed in souls which he has carefully chosen in souls which are truly the elect second only to those of his saints ah those charitable churches of the middle ages those chapels damp and smoky full of ancient song of exquisite paintings of the odour of extinguished tapers of the perfume of burning incense in paris there remain now only a few specimens of this art of other years a few sanctuaries whose stones really exude the faith among these saint severin seemed to durtal the most exquisite and the most certain he only felt at home there he believed that if he could ever pray in earnest he could do it in that church and he said to himself that there lived the spirit of the fabric it is impossible but that the burning prayers the hopeless sobs of the middle ages have not forever impregnated the pillars and stained the walls it is impossible but that the vine of sorrows whence of old the saints gathered warm clusters of tears has not preserved from those wonderful times emanations which sustain a breath which still awakes the shame for sin and the gift of tears as st agnes remained immaculate in the brothels this church remained intact amid infamous surroundings when all near it in the streets from the chateau rouge to the cremerie alexandre only two paces off the modern rabble of rascality combine their misdeeds mingling with prostitutes their brewage of crime their adulterated absinthe and spirits in this especial territory of satanism the church rises delicate and little closely enveloped in the rags of taverns and hovels and seen far off raises above the roofs its light spire like a netting needle its point below and lifting its eye into the light and air through which can be seen a minute bell surmounting a sort of anvil such it appears at least from the place saint andre des arts symbolically it might be called a piteous appeal always rejected by souls hardened and hammered by vice of that anvil which was only an optical illusion and that very real bell they say thought durtal they say that ignorant architects and unskilled archaeologists wish to free saint severin from its rags and surround it with trees in an enclosed square but it has always lived in its network of black streets and is voluntarily humble in accordance with the miserable district it aids in the middle ages the church was a monument seen only within and not one of those impetuous basilicas which are put up as a show in open spaces then it was an oratory for the poor a church on its knees and not standing it would therefore be the most absolute nonsense to free it from its surroundings to take it out of the day of an eternal twilight out of those hours of shadow which brighten the melancholy beauty of a servant in prayer behind the impious hedge of hovels 
ah were it possible to steep the church in the glowing atmosphere of notre dame des victoires and join to its meagre psalmody the powerful choir of saint sulpice that would be complete said durtal but alas here below nothing whole nothing perfect exists indeed from an artistic point of view it was the only church which satisfied him for notre dame de paris was too grand and too much overrun by tourists there were few ceremonies there just the necessary amount of prayers were weighed out and the greater part of the chapels remained closed and lastly the voices of the choir boys always wanted mending they broke while the advanced age of the basses made them hoarse at saint etienne du mont it was worse still the shell of the church was charming but the choir was an offshoot of the school of saint fourche you might think yourself in a kennel where a medley pack of sick beasts were growling as for the other sanctuaries on the right bank of the river they were worthless plain chant was as far as possible suppressed and the poverty of the voices was everywhere ornamented with promiscuous tunes yet on the right bank were the more self-respecting churches for religious paris stops on that side of the seine and comes to an end as you pass the bridges in fact to sum up all he might believe that saint severin by its scent and the delightful art of its old nave saint sulpice by its ceremonies and its chanting had brought him back towards christian art which in its turn had directed him to god then when once urged on this way he had pursued it had left architecture and music to wander in the mystic territories of the other arts and his long visits to the louvre his researches into the breviaries into the books of reisberg angela da foligno saint teresa saint catherine of genoa saint magdalene of pazzi had confirmed him in his belief but the upheaval of all his ideas which he had undergone was too recent for his soul at once to regain its equilibrium from time to time it seemed to wish to go back and he discussed with himself in order to set it at rest he spent himself in disputation came to doubt the reality of his conversion and said after all i am united to the church only on the side of art i only go there to see or hear and not to pray i do not seek the lord but my own pleasure this is not business just as in a warm bath i do not feel the cold if i am motionless but if i move i freeze so in the church my impulses are upset when i move i am almost on fire in the nave less warm in the porch and i become perfectly icy outside these are literary postulates vibrations of the nerves skirmishes of thought spiritual brawls whatever you please except faith but what disquieted him still more than the need of helps to feeling was that his shameless senses rebelled at the contact of religious ideas he floated like wreckage between licentiousness and the church they each threw him back in turn obliging him as he approached one to return at once to that which he had left and he was inclined to ask if he were not a victim to some mystification of his lower instincts seeking to revive themselves without his consciousness by the cordial of a false piety in fact he had often seen realized in himself that unclean miracle when he had left saint severin almost in tears insensibly without connection of ideas without any welding together of sensations without the explosion of a spark his senses took fire and he was powerless to let them burn themselves out to resist them he loathed himself afterwards and it was high time then came the reverse movement he longed to run to some chapel there to wash and be clean and he was so disgusted with himself that now and then he went as far as the door and dared not enter at other times on the contrary he rebelled against himself and cried in fury 
it is monstrous i have in fact spoiled for myself the only pleasure that remained to me the flesh once i amused myself without blame now i pay for my poor debauches with torments i have added one more weariness to existence would that i could undo it he lied to himself in vain trying to justify himself by suggesting doubts suppose all this were not true if there were nothing in it if i were deceiving myself what if the freethinkers were right but he was obliged to be sorry for himself for he felt distinctly to the bottom of his soul that he held unshaken the certitude of true faith these discussions are miserable and the excuses i make for my filthinesses are odious he said to himself and a flame of enthusiasm sprang up within him how doubt the truth of dogmas how deny the divine power of the church for she commands assent first she has her superhuman art and her mysticism then she is most wonderful in the persistent folly of conquered heresies all since the world began have had the flesh as their springboard logically and humanly speaking they should have triumphed for they allowed man and woman to satisfy their passions saying to themselves there was no sin in these even sanctifying them as the gnostics rendering homage to god by the foulest uncleanness all have suffered shipwreck the church unbending in this matter has remained upright and entire she orders the body to be silent and the soul to suffer and contrary to all probability humanity listens to her and sweeps away like a dung-heap the seductive joys proposed to her again the vitality of the church's decision which preserves her in spite of the unfathomable stupidity of her sons she has resisted the disquieting folly of the clergy and has not even been broken up by the awkwardness and lack of ability in her defenders a very strong point no the more i think of her he cried the more i think her prodigious unique the more i am convinced that she alone holds the truth that outside her are only weaknesses of mind impostures scandals the church is the divine breeding-ground the heavenly dispensary of souls she gives them suck nourishes them and heals them she bids them understand when the hour of sorrow comes that true life begins not at birth but at death the church is indefectible before all things admirable she is great yes but then we must follow her directions and practice the sacraments she orders and durtal shaking his head gave himself no further answer end of part one chapter two